Welcome to Your Rights at Work. Chris Garlock here with Ed Smith on this Labor Day week. Hey, if you've got questions about your workplace rights, the ones you have, the ones you don't have, the ones you wish you had, now's the time to give us a call. Ed, how would they do that? They should definitely give us a call. We always love talking to our callers. Come on, give us a call at 202-588-0893. That's 202-588-0893. Anytime we get callers, we really love to uh, have that discussion. By the way, Chris um, and the audience, Your Rights at Work is a proud founding member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. There's nearly 150 labor radio and podcast shows just like this. And you can check them out at laborradionetwork.org. That's laborradionetwork.org. Nice and easy to find that. Thank you. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. It's a busy uh, week this Labor Day week. Hey, big show today. We're going to be talking Major League Baseball Players Association has joined the team. That's the AFL-CIO team, that is. We're going to talk with sports writer and fellow PFW host Dave Zirin in just a couple of minutes. Also, breaking news, D.C. has its first union bookstore. Dave has written about a million books, and you can probably find them all. Right, and I think they probably have a shelf. We'll find out uh, over there at Politics and Pros. They got their first union contract there. We're going to talk with Issa Salazar. She's one of the organizers of the Politics and Pros Union. And then our final guest today, Wade Rathke, he's the chief organizer for ACORN. Uh, You'll remember, Ed, last week we talked with U.S. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh about the induction of essential workers of the coronavirus pandemic into the Labor Hall of Honor. And we want to talk with Ray today about how essential workers are taking action. It's all coming up on Your Rights of Work, 202-588-0893. And, of course, uh, somewhere in there we'll get some of the news headlines. Uh, But we do have our very first guest with us, uh, as mentioned, Dave Zirin. He's a sports editor for The Nation. He hosts The Collision Show Thursdays right here in WPFW with Ethan Thomas. Welcome back to Your Rights at Work, Dave. Oh, it's so great to be here. But I don't want to bury the lead of what's in my brain. (laughs) I didn't know about politics and prose. That's why that's why we have this show, man. I got to keep everybody up to speed. Oh, my gosh. I mean, people out there got to know uh, politics and prose is, is an institution. Yes, indeed. In anyway, institution. And, you know, I, I, a million years ago, I had a friend who worked there, tried to tried to unionize. It didn't work. She ended up moving to Jersey. And to, to hear about this happening is absolutely making my day. Well, I'm so glad to make, if I can make Dave Zirin's day, I'm, I'm, I'm going home now, dude. I'm just <laughs> a stick of fork in it. I am done. And uh, don't, Issa, leave, don't leave too early, Chris. You've got, you've got about 50 more minutes. Oh, all right. Well, actually, no, Issa is here. So Issa, you should say hi to Dave. Hi. Hi, Dave. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, we did hear about the earlier, um, I, the earlier um form of organizing that was tried i think in 1995 so it's all come full circle and um hearing about it again just 
really makes my day as well. So it's an honor to meet you. <laughs> I'm going to be texting my friend Virginia as soon as this show is over. And I guarantee you she's going to jump right through the roof. So uh, thank you so, so much. So exciting. So exciting. All right, Dave, listen, uh, we got a, a bunch of things we wanted to talk to you yes. about all things sports. Uh, obviously, the whole thing with the Major League Baseball Players Association. But first, I got a couple of other things. Uh, you had a terrific, uh, I think it's actually your most recent column in the nation. It's entitled, Brittany Griner is facing nine years in a Russian penal colony. Where is the campaign to free her? You've got a subhead that says, we should be stepping up our efforts to bring the WNBA superstar home. Instead, we're getting, quote, out of sight, out of mind, unquote. And it's a disgrace. It is indeed. And I would love to have you talk about that. Well, I mean, for this show, I'd like to actually focus on a part of the article where I was thinking about what we can do about it. Okay. Because I think we know Brittany Griner's story. My frustration is that it seemed like last month it was coming to a boil, and then the media, like a cat following a laser pointer, <laughs> all of a sudden looking at something else. And so in an issue that I believe attention is a prerequisite to her freedom, the loss of attention, which means it goes to the bottom of the list at the State Department where they're negotiating this stuff, because this is all about exerting pressure uh, on, on our side of the of the ocean here. I mean, it, it's just it just cut deeply. So I wanted to write about it, especially when news about the the actual conditions of the penal colony where, she, where she'll be staying uh, became known. Okay, all of that being said, I, my mind was particularly caught by a Labor Day petition from the Women's National Basketball Players Association calling on trade unionists to sign a petition online to free Brittany Griner. And what I thought when I saw that was this is a labor issue. It's certainly a sports labor issue. So why is the WNBA acting alone, given that of all the major sports unions, they are, I think, unquestionably the, the, the least strong. And so for them, they should be calling upon or the, the other side should be volunteering to help the NFL Players Association, the Major League Baseball Players Association, National Hockey League Players Association, the very powerful U.S. Women's National Soccer Team Players Association. And I, I, just, I, I, would, I just feel like that could be organized in short order. Um, and I'd like to see it done. Well, no, I totally agree, Dave, but here's something that in, in your column that I did not know. Uh, there's so many things I don't know, but this one I was, I was surprised at because I thought I was following this fairly closely. I did not realize it, and tell me it's not so, but apparently a bunch of the women's basketball players are planning to go back to Russia to play. Can that can that be true? Yeah, it's uh, not just women. It's uh, The article says uh, Americans. I hope that's clear. Uh, Some okay. men are in there also. Uh, not... Not all the women are coming out of the WNBA. It's just 30 Americans are going to play professional basketball uh, in Russia this offseason. And I, I got to say, like, I almost want to be bodily stopping them from doing so, not out of solidarity for Brittany Griner as much as the fact that they're going to be targeted. Yes. I mean, it's such a naivete to go over there right now. I mean, it would be difficult enough to do it as a reporter, but to do it as an actual high-valued target in the cultural stratosphere. I mean, to me, it's just, just I hope they all have people in their lives who are going to tell them, you know, please don't do this. 
No, I was thinking that exactly. And also, again, because we always look at things through the labor lens look, and, and you talk about this, I get it. You know, you, you make good money over there. Uh, frankly, they probably get, you know, as much or more recognition. There there are a lot of good reasons as worker players mm -hmm. to do this under normal circumstances. But this is this is like going into, you know, the plant that's had a, a you know, about to have a meltdown. This just seems like a really bad idea. Exactly. But I got to say, we could talk about this all day. We've got an agenda, Chris. <laughs> we do. Thank you. You must be a radio show host, dude. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, I, I, let's... I just want to hear what, what Issa has to say, so I want to get through it quickly. Uh, another quick thing before we move on to uh, baseball uh, and, and, and soccer. Uh, you, you probably remember I'm a tennis player. I have been spotted in the pickleball course lately. I will admit that, but uh, still a huge fan. Terrific column you did on Serena. And I just, I know you want to give a shout out to, and to put Serena in context. I thought your column was did a good job of that. Thank you so much. The thing about Serena that I keep coming back to in my own mind is that unlike the other athletic political heroes that I have, you know, people ranging from Muhammad Ali uh, to Billie Jean King, Serena, there was no place for Serena Williams right. in women's tennis. I mean, I, I look at her as something like uh, an athletic demolition artist. <laughs> like she blew up sides of the mountain so there would be a place for her. She never tried to get in where she fit in, as they say. She never surrendered a second of who she was, and she still brought the sport to its knees. And that, for me, in addition to the fact that she had a 27-year career, over 40 Grand Slam titles, uh, even with all of that, uh, that's what truly impresses me the most. And to have achieved so much while you know, almost dying in childbirth from a C-section. Thank you. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable what she's confronted, both in this hostile world of tennis and in her own life. Uh, and it hasn't all been roses. It hasn't all been up, up, and away. But I think it's her ability to keep getting up and keep achieving that's earned her this generation of fans. I mean, ESPN had its highest rating for a tennis match in its history by a very comfortable margin on Serena's last game, last for match. A, for a first round at the U.S. Open, might I say. A first one. Nobody watches the first round. So, yes, absolutely. Amazing. Hey, uh, Chris, I'm going to jump in here. First of all, Dave, um, I wanted to thank you very much. I caught the majority of your show this morning, and I wanted mm -hmm. to thank you very much. And Eton, of course, for getting this story about Richard um, uh, Kenneth Chamberlain. Uh, that was heartbreaking. And I encourage anybody who did not hear your show to go back and listen to it. It's powerful. Um, I, I also wanted to mention, I saw the, uh, the lineup we had, but I would be remiss to say, uh, to, to remind people that the minor league baseball players are going to be uh, getting a contract. And that to me, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of baseball. I'm a huge fan of baseball. I love, uh, love Marvin Miller. But getting the minor league players unionized and getting contract is much, much, it's going to affect them much better than any of the other sports uh, unions because they are the ones who have the lowest pay, the diff most difficult working conditions going back almost a century. Look, all respect to Marvin Miller, who to me is one of the great labor leaders of the second half of the 20th century. Uh, but th th there were two 
two flaws. Marvin Miller running the Major League Baseball Players Association. One, he didn't organize the minor leaguers back when they had ultimate power, ultimate leverage, and could have done so as just part of a collective bargaining agreement with the bosses. I mean, the bosses were were brought down by Marvin Miller. Organize the minor leaguers and join the AFL-CIO. Thank you. Formally. And the fact that Tony Clark is doing both of these right now, I think is not a coincidence. I think they're making a turn towards figuring out how to be a more activist-oriented union because that's what would speak to the needs of their membership. Uh, and I see these as connected, although I, you can't talk about this without talking about the years of grassroots organizing by the minor league players themselves. I mean, so they really reached a point where Major League Baseball couldn't ignore them any longer. Very savvy uses of social media, showing the world uh, the kind of meals that they're given on the road in the minor leagues, going public with things that people should know, like their annual salaries range from five grand to 14 grand a year. And no, it's ridiculous. And, and so it's, it's time, time to organize. All the professional baseball players should be in one big union. And I think this will, it's almost like completing Marvin Miller's book to get this done. Talking with Dave Zirin, he's a sports writer and, of course, a fellow host here on PFW. Uh, Dave, I'll be honest, um, I did not know that the Major League Baseball Players Association was not in the AFL-CIO. Um, I, I just, and I, I go into the building, they're all written up there on the wall. I, I, I just didn't realize that. Why, why were they not in? And, you know, is, is this as big a deal as it seems? It is a big deal. You know, the NFL Players Association is the only one, the only sports union that's a part of the AFL-CIO. Now, the benefit, I'll say really quickly, the benefits of being connected is that you become part of um, a network of laborers who can help each other in times of crisis. And while uh, football players might seem like odd labor relatives, if you're on strike, and I've seen this from the NFL Players Association, if your nurse is on strike at, say, the Washington Hospital Center, they'll send some big football players out and everybody gets a huge lift on the line. And it's kind of an awesome feeling, you know, because I'll never forget this one uh, former NFL player with the nurses. This is years ago, but he said, you know, all of you are approaching me like I'm some kind of hero because I play in the NFL. The nurses are the heroes. The strikers are the heroes. You're the heroes. And it was like, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering this story. Um, now, why these unions have not been part of the AFL-CIO is, you know, because they saw themselves as narrowly craft unions um, with a different set. Of, I mean, Marvin Miller thought that baseball players were different from other workers. Marvin Miller coming out of the steelworkers tradition, you know, and, and because they negotiate their contracts individually, even though they collectively bargain, the careers are very short and all the rest of it. But I think that that was, um, and, and when Marvin Diller did, Miller did that, all of the other sports unions followed suit because he was such a titanic figure um, in, in staying out of the AFL-CIO. That was only bucked by the NFL. Um and NFL Players Association. And I, I think it's a, the total right move 
by the Dave, MLBPA. Dave, thank you very much for the shout out to the nurses. It's much appreciated, and I do remember those days. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have much time with you, so let's talk a little soccer. Oh, and yes. by the way, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that maybe this move from the Players Association baseball will spark some interest in the NBA. I, I think I, I think there's some really great young activists and I think it'd be great if they join the AFL as well. But anyway, soccer. Talk to me about Definitely. soccer. Oh, the NBA Player Association would be great. Uh, we have an equal pay agreement uh, between the U.S. men's and U.S. women's national team. And what's so significant about this, first of all, is that it was one through struggle. Uh, went through struggle of the women's national team. Uh, there have been lawsuits. There's been bad blood. There's been demonstrations. You had people chanting equal pay when they won the World Cup. And what's amazing about this agreement is that it's two separate agreements. There's an agreement with the men and an agreement with the women about making sure that there is equal prize money, equal facilities, all the things that um, have made it's so difficult to be a professional women's soccer player, uh, you know, which includes like the quality of where they, you know, where they change and where they play, which you know, players get hurt in those conditions um, when you have lousy turf. So, so a lot has been corrected through this agreement and to have them. I mean, I, th- I love this story because it's also about men stepping up against sexism and, it's about a woman who now heads USA Soccer, who's a former player, who seems to get it in a way that her predecessor certainly did not. So I love this story because it involves struggle, it involves solidarity, and it involves victory. Three things that have been in short supply. Dave, before you, you, you go, uh, I, I want to pick up something you were just talking about. And, and you know, I've, I've read Miller's books and and. and I think that there is this idea that sport, and, and it's among the fans as well, uh, that, that you know sports players are, are somehow different, and, and um, you know they partly because I think everybody thinks they all make a lot of money, which, as you point out, is is not true. But you know these folks are workers, and I'm just wondering, from your point of view, is is there more of a of a recognition by the players themselves in these various sports that? They are workers in addition to, you know, obviously they're committed to their sports. Is, is there more, dare I say it, of a, of a class consciousness of class solidarity? I mean, we don't talk yes. about these things here in this country, but. Yeah, there is. And, you know, it makes sense. Another reason worth adding why the NFL is part of the AFL-CIO is there's an old expression in the NFL players union that, you know, we're the only industry with a 100% injury rate. So. It's, it's this, you know, th- th- that's where you get a kind of proletarian mindset when, when you go to work and get hurt. Uh, a, a lot of these other unions, I do think there's a rise in class consciousness, a rise in the recognition of the need for solidarity. Uh, and I think it's going to make a difference going forward. Hey, let me jump in real quick, Chris. Um, sure. I see an analogy here, um, organizing doctors. Um, it, it's very difficult to organize doctors because a lot of doctors feel that there is a, a separate uh, nature of their work um, and uh, individualized, uh, you know, uh, uh, nature of their work. So um, I'm hopeful that uh, there will be a class consciousness uh, improvement there as well. But I just wanted to jump in and mention that. Very cool. 
Dave Zirin, thanks so much for jumping on with us. You can catch him every Thursday right here on WPFW. He's a sports editor for The Nation. He hosts The Collision here on WPFW. Find out all his great stuff, edgeofsports.com. Thank you, Dave. May I stay and listen? You may stay and listen, and you may actually ask questions. In fact, I wanted to ask you, as we bring on our next guest, uh, Issa Salazar from the Politics and Pros Union, um, Dave, what do you remember from that previous organizing drive? Oh, just that it was very frustrating, uh, very difficult, because the previous owners at that time, who were kind of legendary, tried to foster this kind of family atmosphere, which is a, a management technique. Let's be honest about that. And that made it very difficult to organize. But that was many a lifetime ago. Let's hear what's happening in the here and now. <laughs> Over to you, Isa. It was a great press conference on Tuesday, and, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. What I think must be the speediest organizing to contract. Uh, I, I mean, and it was funny because we talked about this on Tuesday, but, you know, I'd just been doing a story on the AU staff union, mm-hmm. which I think it was like 400 days but you know to get to get their contract oh, and yeah. they had to strike for five days and y'all did it in something like 10 months so what, what was your secret <laughs> what's your secret sauce oh my gosh this is <laughs> um first of all thank you thank you chris and ed for having us on the show or um i'm we're overwhelmed and excited to be here um and finally be here but yeah no um this whole process has been nothing short of just a lot of fortune, a lot of good luck, a lot of goodwill coming from our community. Um, I'm going to be a disappointment and say that there really is no secret sauce and we understand how big of an achievement it is to have come to a contract in under a year. And I think that it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been this easy without, um, well, first of all, I have such an amazing, our amazing bargaining committee who was relentless in pushing for our rights um, we had a very strong community behind us, not just our customers, but our authors, um, our shoppers, just, you know, just this very, from a legacy of like maybe 38 years of politics and prose. And um, of course, like there was also the management side of things. Um, they were also like tenacious. They were coming to the table every week and um, fight and they were not fighting, but they were, you know, they were meeting us where we were and, it was with this in mind, having this goal, having wanting to reach a contract in the most efficient way possible in a way that benefited everyone. That's how it came to be. So it was nothing short of just hard work, just a lot of grit. Um, yeah. Hard work is almost always a secret sauce. We all know that. Um, and I want to encourage, you know, Dave, Dave is still with us. Uh, and of course, Ed Smith. So you know, both of you feel free to jump in. But Issa, you talked about on, on Tuesday how this had started, you know, in, in your living room, in your apartment. And I'm <laughs> curious about what what was it that, that got you and, and some of your colleagues at Politics and Pros to start talking about organizing a union? Well, being perfectly transparent, like David already touched on it earlier, but organizing at politics and prose, it there we weren't um we weren't the first attempt, I would say. Like there were there, you know, there were drafts, I guess, of where we are today. And I think in October, we were just last October, we were coming towards the holiday season. And for people in retail, I'm sure they understand the holiday season is the most stressful time of the year. And last year was like 
I would joke about how I still am haunted by memories of 2020s, <laughs> 2020 retail season. And now that we are coming into like another holiday season, it's like, all right, we want to prepare for this. How do we prepare, make sure that we are kept safe, make sure that the workers are like not being overstretched more than we are. And um, just like a lot of conversations among us, that's how it started. It started with a game night. Um, it started with a game night in my apartment, which led to just, you know, just talking about, because it was a game night with my coworkers, we would just talk about like the long days we've had and how we were afraid or like nervous about the coming holiday season, the holiday sales. And um, we decided that, hey, I think it's time that we should do this again. Let's do this. Let's do a big push. Let's like see who we can connect with. And um, here we are. <laughs> Let me bring uh, uh, Dave in and, and then Ed. Uh, hey, so this this is terrific. A quick question. Sure. Uh, every organizing drive that I've ever seen or been a part of, there's always you know mixed consciousness among the people you're trying to organize. Uh, it's never just a hundred percent raw. Uh, is is that what what was the case at Politics and Prose, and how did you handle? that with colleagues or co-workers who were not feeling the union? Um, you're absolutely right. It was not 100% let's go, everyone should go for this, especially since um, our bargaining unit does also encompass like a children's and teens department, and we also have the den under our purview. So it's it's a whole bunch of different people with a lot of like different concerns. And I think I think that, me, that us, um, the organizing committee, really meeting people where they were and not coming from a place of anger and hostility, but wanting to hear what was going on with their coworkers. Like I work on the adult floor, so I know what's best going on there. But my coworkers, my colleagues in the cafe and my colleagues in um, the children's department, they would have different concerns. And what we tried to do was foster an environment of openness where they could approach us and have just casual conversations about what was going on in our day-to-day. And these were things that we try to address from the get-go, from our very first from our very first meeting where we said that we would like to form a union. We said that what we wanted to do was make sure it wasn't just adult floor. It wasn't just like pe- the booksellers. We wanted to emphasize that politics and prose has the branches, has um, CNT, has the den, and these are all needs that we want to raise and we want everyone to be heard as much as possible so yeah ed smith that's this is so exciting um isa i i uh, have been a labor attorney for 30 years and but all, <laughs> all all in the union movement so i am on the ground i i uh will carry a picket sign i'll make picket signs you know i'll do everything and i'm really proud of you guys um I find it very interesting that uh, the way to get solidarity is not just to talk about solidarity, but really mean it. And um, I'll give you a quick example, and then I'll I'll go to my question. Uh, uh, We represent nurses all across the uh, D.C. area, and um, we are always concerned when we go into contract negotiations and might have a potential for a strike is management splitting off the union. And, And it's often in the nursing industry, it's younger nurses versus older nurses. Management seems to never want to pay older nurses uh, what they're due. They figure they're never, you know, they're there for the duration and they're not going to go away. So they don't need to do anything to retain them. And then they uh, will put a boatload of money for the younger nurses. And 
we were always concerned about what younger nurses are going to think. And I remember having a discussion with a nurse six, seven months ago who had been employed at a particular hospital for about nine months. And I was very concerned. We were talking about doing a strike vote. And so I just bumped into her and I asked her what her feelings were. And she said that this is horrible. The older nurses are the ones who have trained me and I'm going to stand up with them. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. Wonderful. Oh. Have you talked to any of your other uh, colleagues? And she said, oh, yeah, I've already done a um, text. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're on a, a group text with all the other nurse residents and they all agree and all going to stand up and join the picket. That's solidarity, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and so if your issue is not my issue, well, then we ain't going to get along. Um, so a couple of things. One, how big is the unit and what were some of the, um, what were some of the gains you uh, uh, ultimately received in the negotiations? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, we have a unit of, I believe, around 40 people, 40 people across the branches, across departments. So, um, yeah, that's our unit. And um, the gains that we stand to, well, the gains that we have from this contract is scheduling improvements, especially, like I said, coming to the holiday season right now, um, I feel like turnover is pretty high. So we want to make sure that everyone's needs are met. No one is short staffed, um, especially since, you know, it can get pretty crazy in retail. Um, there are some, there are no more merit raises. It's more, gonna, there's going to be wages that will keep up with inflation. No mandatory close open shifts, which is huge because, um, you know, it can be exhausting to close and then come in early the next day. But we have increased clarity and transparency. We are putting structures in place to make it so that um, employees can employees can like come to management without fear of retaliation and just have a more systemic um, have more systemic procedures that make things more streamlined. So nothing nothing is informal. Things are codified and put on paper. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's just. I think like what one of the problems that we encountered with the workplace was just how informal everything was. And that was to the detriment of so many of the workers. And one thing that we absolutely wanted to ensure was that um, we were able to get clarity because often when it came to the short end of the stick, it was the rank and file that was getting it. So in order to avoid mishaps like that, we wanted to make sure that there were safeguards to um, just avoid like any harm, I suppose. And um we wanted to, I think, just having this huge collective voice now to be able to talk to management. Um, this really makes us feel like our labor is going to be um, valued even more. I, I think you also won, um, and I forget what they're called, but there are uh, increases that are baked in having to do with, uh, is it inflation, I think? Yes. Um, so with BC's cost of living allow, um, rising every year, like that's already kind of like... Um, baked into like our annual increases but we also want to make sure that it's not just like the minimum wage doesn't just start at like where dc's but kind of you know making sure that it's the needs of um the needs of the employees are met especially those people who have been in the store for a while um you know just making sure that their work is recognized so it's it's not just happening on a merit base but it's like a systemic thing that's happening um throughout the with, with every year that passes that's a huge issue. As, as somebody who's who's been in contract negotiations, that is massive. And I know Local 400, which your union is part of, is very happy about that. Uh, back, oh, yeah. to Dave, back, to, <laughs> back to Dave Zyron. Dave, I think we've, we've got you on mute there, guy. 
Hard to abuse Dave Zyra. I tell you what, <laughs> nobody, nobody abused Dave Zyra. Not, a, not I was going to say that there are Only people in my life. <laughs> there are people in my life who would love to have that ability. Um, <laughs> the the question, and Chris, you just teed me up perfectly for this. Uh, UFCW Local 400. Uh, how did that decision? Because this so relates to what we were talking about with the sports unions. Like, mm. why? Um, affiliate what are the advantages of affiliating uh for for your union um so ufc w400 um just to talk um just a little nod to history actually when politics and pros first started um an organizing drive in 1995 incidentally um the union actually tapped ufcw at the time and while it was unsuccessful it's a very it feels more um potent that these are um this is the union that we've chosen to work with but um ufcw 400 they we decided to work with them because we felt like we could we had the most to gain from working with them they really like a strong presence in dc and i feel like um meeting meeting ufcw it's been nothing but encouragement and good along the way like it was never when we would anticipate obstacles from the first meeting, it never felt like it never felt like an obstacle. It was more of a yes and. And I think that encouraging atmosphere from them and that will to do with us um, was really what helped push us along. And um, yeah, it it really was um, huge and serendipitous. Um, one of my organizing committee members. Um, had a friend in News Guild and they were the ones that kind of like linked us to UFCW and it's just been smooth sailing ever since. Let me ask you both Dave and and uh, and Ed have 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 mentioned this, you know, one of the things about politics and pros, you know, is that it is it is an institution as Dave said earlier it's been around for 38 years. A lot of us feel very connected. I believe your subscriptions manager, I mean people are <laughs> members of it. So this is People are really, you know, connected personally to this bookstore. There was an ownership change uh, recently when the, the previous owners wanted to retire and they handed it over to uh, a, 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 some new owners. Um, and I know when when the uh, organizing drive was originally announced, there was there was some, let's say, some pushback from management. And I remember the outburst. We actually covered it in Union City, and I think we covered oh, it on wow. this show there was quite a reaction from folks who just really didn't see that as consistent with, with politics and pros. And I think to their credit, that was turned around fairly quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we really put into our manifest, um, yeah, our kind of like manifesto or something when we started out was we had taken into consideration that politics and prose does have a code of conduct that puts emphasis on having a place of discussion, of openness, of fairness. Um, it has always, like you said, it's been an institution of the community. It's been a long, it's long been known as a progressive and inclusive bookstore, a place to exchange ideas, not just um, as bookstores are, but politics and prose situated in the district. Like, it's amazing. And we wanted to hold the owners to account. We wanted to hold the owners to account and say, okay, you have your, we, you have a code of conduct you proudly put on display that says there's no space for hate, discrimination, disrespect from all angles. And we wanted to see, we wanted to tell them, or what we wanted to do is like, all right, well, if this is what you believe in, 
then how are you going to extend it to your employees? And that's one of the main reasons how we got it started. And um, we have a strong community that has also held management to account based on these values. And um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good news. Um, you know, would that it were that uh, Starbucks would take a, uh, take some direction from uh, politics and pros. Um, <laughs> so how long is the contract uh, happening? Uh, how long is the duration? And um, did you have a celebration? Did you, how are the, how are the workers feeling now that you've, uh, and also have they ratified? Um, so yes, we did have our vote on Tuesday. Um, it's a three-year contract, which we will revisit. Um, I think that's pretty standard uh, union practice. And um, honestly, like right after the press conference, I had to clock in and go to work. There hasn't really <laughs> been time for a celebration. It's, it's September, and that means it's, it's the fall book season, so things are just rolling in. But rest assured, we are. that's going to be an agenda for the next meeting for when we decide our shop stewards. Um, no, this, it hasn't. And I think because of how quickly everything happened, not just with the movement of the contract, but like as soon as we finished voting, it was opening time, get back to work. Um, it hasn't really sunk in for the organizing committee, for the bargaining committee. Um, my joke is that, okay, let's, let's, stage a, let's stage a dispute just to see how this is going to work. Oh. That's not going to happen. Um, too soon, Isa, too soon. <laughs> That's uh, the only way I get by with my um, silly little jokes. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm totally with you. If we can't have humor, then uh, I don't want to be part of your uh, revolution. Hey, Dave Zyron, back to you. Well, you know I'm against all little jokes. <laughs> um, large, large jokes only, right, Dave? Yeah, bring out the whoopee cushion. Um, there you go. I, I have a, a, a suggestion and then just want to say something quick because I, I, I got to go, unfortunately, go back to my labors. Um, the suggestion is Monday, September 12th at Politics and Prose, the amazing Robin Kelly is speaking, one of the great labor writers, one of the great writers about the black freedom struggle that this country has. And he's also a brilliant public speaker. It might be kind of cool to uh, get your coworkers to, to hear him because, I mean, it's, it's super inspiring to hear Robin speak and um, that, that's just a suggestion. And then the statement I want to make is I just want to be on the record here. I am so much more likely to shop at Politics and Prose because they are a union bookshop than I would be otherwise. <laughs> and I think everybody, when you think about buying books, always support independent bookstores. But to support a union bookstore at the same time, I mean, that is an act of social good. So thank you, Isa. Love thank making you. ethical choices, and you've created one. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words, David. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you very much, Dave Zirin. And uh, by the way, that actually perfectly tees up UFCW 400. Uh, Mike Wilson, one of the great organizers there, he talked a lot about that, actually, about how this was a win-win for everybody. So uh, I'm going to make sure to send this clip to Mike Wilson today. <laughs> Appreciate it. Back to work, brother. All right. Uh, listen, this has been wonderful, Isa. I think Dave's suggestion is terrific. And I tell you, if you do that, let me know because we will promote that on Union City. Uh, I would love to turn out. It sounds like I should come 
hear Robin speak anyway. But if you're going to have uh, some of your folks there, we would we would love to promote that and definitely uh, keep us posted uh, of, of any sort of labor related um, speakers that are coming up so we can make sure that folks show up, support the speakers and support the union bookstore. Any final words for us? Um, right now, there is actually a Labor Day display that we have in store. It's lovingly put together by one of our excellent, uh, one of my excellent comrades and co-book sellers, and I think that you should check it out. Um, also, um, I just want to say that, like, this really would not have been possible if not for, like, the huge wave of labor organizing that was happening at the time, but also the indies that have come before us, Powell's, Green Apple, Half Price Books, Elliott Bay, and it's just super exciting to be among like these just amazing people and um yeah we'll keep you guys in the loop <laughs> isa salazar thank you so much for being on your rights at work really appreciate it absolutely thank you so much for having us um we look forward to seeing you guys in the store and uh any of the branches really <laughs> all right take care isa is one of the politics and prose union organizers they just ratified the first ever union contract at politics and prose and you heard it from dave Zirin. You can shop Union at a bookstore, and you should do that. So Politics and Prose on the Connecticut Avenue, great books. They've got a great cafe. Uh, parking's a little of a challenge, but uh, not a problem. You can always find some place. So get over there and check them out. That is it for today's show. Our engineers today, Mike Nacella, Kalia Chapman. You can share today's show on your favorite podcast platform. Just search for your rights to work. Thanks so much for listening. See you all next week. This is a public.